Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to $200 in fee-free overdraft with a Chime checking account. Sign up today at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. With shoppers buying everything online these days, getting those holiday gifts for family and friends is going to be harder than ever. But no need to worry because our friends at Seattle Shirt Company have got us covered. Jay and the team have an unbelievable selection of NFL and NBA jerseys for everyone on your list. These jerseys are 100% authentic, from current superstars like LeBron James to the all-time legends like Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Walter Payton. Seattle Shirt Company has it all. And right now, for our listeners, we have a special one-time only pre-Black Friday Cyber Monday deal. Everything you buy at seattleshirt.com is 30% off. So head to seattleshirt.com and enter the code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for 30% off your entire order. Shipping is always free. Seattle Shirt Company, helping you get ready for the holidays a little bit early. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to this episode of the ISO with myself, Dan Dickow, your host for SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Continuing to bring conversations, typically in the world of basketball, today's is a coach, his roots lie where I currently live, Spokane, Washington, went on to play college basketball and then grind his way out as a coach at what a lot of people deem the lower levels, but quite frankly, there is some great basketball being played at both the NAIA and the Division II levels. Now the head coach at Idaho State in the Big Sky Conference, Ryan Looney. Coach, life in Pocatello, how goes it? And you've got to be excited now that official college basketball practice has started yeah life is good um obviously the world's changed a little with coronavirus um we have some restrictions uh here in idaho as well um but maybe not at the same level as uh other parts of the country um we still get obviously get out of the house um my kids their youth sports never really stopped um so we've been blessed uh in that way um, in regards to our team, I think it's going well. We've had most of our guys here uh, on campus uh, since the middle of June. Uh, a lot of them in summer class. Uh, worked out with our strength and conditioning staff. Uh, don't remember the exact date, but we finally got to get on the court with them uh, at a point in the summer as well. Um, a lot of smaller group workouts, a lot of conditioning, a lot of weight room. Uh, but now we're officially going, um, have the whole team in the gym together and feel good about what direction we're moving in. I've always felt in regards to the NBA game for me as a player, it took me three years to really kind of understand and figure out what that game was like. Now you moved from the division two level where to the division one, where now you're recruiting a different level athlete, maybe a little bit better player as well, but you, there's a, there's a timeline and a philosophy to how to implement your culture of what you want at Idaho State and how you want things done. How do you feel you're going on the timeline that you have to get Idaho State to where you'd like it to be? 
Well, we like where we're at right now. Um, we struggled a year ago. Uh, obviously, new staff, uh, a lot of new players. Um, we faced uh, two season-ending injuries to guys a year ago that would have been starters for us and never played in a game. Um, we had a guy that transferred to us from Cal Poly, uh, who's a local kid, uh, didn't get a waiver from the NCA, so he had to sit too. So we felt like we played every game last year without three really important pieces. Um, those guys are healthy and eligible now, ready to go. Uh, and our staff did an amazing job. We added 11 new players um, in our recruiting class uh, a year ago. Uh, all of those guys are doing a great job, um, are ready to get to play against somebody else here uh, soon. Uh, we feel like we're uh, headed in the right direction, but as you know, we still have to get better day by day. And when we square off against somebody else, we got to win those games. So we feel good about where we're at. Um, we're going to see here shortly if we've taken the right steps. You mentioned assistant coaches helping recruit and bring 11 new players to the staff. That's something that's a challenge for college basketball these days with the transfers, with the immediate waivers to allow guys to be eligible. So you've got to have assistants that are, are very well entrenched with number of different players who might be transferring, who is transferring, what their situation might be. You've been a head coach for a long time, so I'm sure you've had to, to find assistants that fit your style and, and work well with you. What do you look for in an, in an assistant coach? Look for a lot of things. I think loyalty is a big one. Uh, I want hardworking guys that aren't afraid to put in a ton of hours, whether it's at home on the phone with recruits or um, grinding out a lot of tasks in the office. Um, guys who are energetic uh, in practice. Uh, over my career, I've been blessed. Um, I started out at Eastern Oregon uh, as the head coach there for five years. Um, I hired my uh, college teammate, uh, as my primary assistant coach, he was also my roommate uh, in college, um, was in our wedding. Um, and he stayed with me all five years there. And when I left, uh, he became the head coach. Um, then I went to Seattle Pacific. Um, and I had two, uh, actually three assistant coaches that were with me the entire time uh, I was there. Um, one, George Parker, who was a volunteer for a lot of years, not just uh, for me, but for Ken Bone and Jeff Hiranaka as well. Um, Bubba Filios, who went to school at Gonzaga, uh, where you played, uh, was on our staff the whole time uh, we were there as well. And then I think you obviously know Grant Leap, um, was uh, our lead assistant the entire time we were there. And when I left, uh, Grant was fortunate enough to get the head coaching job. Uh, at SPU and is still there today and then went to Point Loma and for the most part had the same guys helping me there uh, the whole time um, as well so kind of been blessed in regards to the staff and assistant coaches uh, being able to have, have a whole lot of um, in that way. It sounds like a lot of uh, what you mentioned in the word that you use right off the bat is loyalty and that's something that um, I value when I look at it, when I do my broadcast prep and I look at a coaching staff and how they're put together, a lot of times you look, okay, head coach, this assistant's been with him for 10 or 12 years. He's been at different stops. Oh, the lack of turnover 
um, can really help to building that culture quicker and having continuity in the staff can really solidify a program having continued success. Yep. You mentioned Seattle Pacific. That is a Division II program that myself, growing up in the Northwest, has always really looked at and thought, hey, at the Division II level, they do it the right way. You mentioned Ken Bone, Jeff Hiranaka. Those are tremendous coaches, um, both at the Division II, but then at the Division I level when they've gotten their chance. Grant Leap, yes, is a friend of mine. He's continued the success that, that the coaches before him have set. When you look at your time at SPU, you won almost 77% of your games. You won a lot of GNAC titles. What, what was the most memorable time or team that you may have had there? Well, I think I'll go in a couple different directions with this. Uh, Seattle Pacific is a fantastic uh, institution um, located in a beautiful area of Seattle. Uh, there's a lot of reasons um, coaches have had a lot of success there. Uh, the institution funds the program well, um, but most specifically, I think the location of it uh, attracts a lot of players. Um, I think we were fortunate during my time there uh, to recruit a bunch of guys that fit the style that we wanted to play, but we also were able to keep some guys home, maybe guys that had an opportunity to go to the East Coast and play Division One, but would have rather stayed closer to their family where their families could see them play and play at high level division two. And I think the thing that a lot of people don't realize is when you're a top 25 team in division two, how good those players really are. Um, we had talented, we had talented guys, but also guys that stuck within our program for long periods of time too, and really developed into players that probably could have uh, played at a higher level. Um, in regards to, uh, memories, I have a ton. I think the thing that uh, always sticks with me is the character of guys that we had in the program. Um, all seven years I was there, they were a blast to be around uh, every day. Uh, you never had to doubt um, how hard they were going to work or how uh, well they were going to be prepared um, for each season. Um, we had a ton of teams that won regular season conference titles. Uh, I think one thing I always pitch when we're recruiting kids now during my time there, we had three straight years where we won the conference tournament, um, which obviously is not something that's easy to do. Uh, all seven teams uh, that we coached at one point in time were top 25 in the country. Um, we had two teams that were ranked as high as number two in the nation uh, at that level. Um, never really got ourselves over the hump um, and into a national championship game, but uh, we were close um, and lost some close games in NCAA tournaments to advance to the level that we always wanted to get to. But, I mean, I could go on and on. There were so many great things from the level of talent of guys on the team to how well they did in the classroom to all of them graduating from college. Um, there's a lot of fond memories from there. And honestly, Dan, I, I would have stayed there uh, forever if we didn't have to uh, live a long ways away from campus and long commute to get into the office and back every day. My kids got to a point where they were in their own activities and I felt like a bad dad not being able to get to anything while I was stuck in traffic. So just life in itself um, made us have to think about maybe doing something different in coaching. Well, you mentioned the traffic in Seattle, and that's one thing that, you know, 
I personally live in on the east side of the state of Washington get frustrated at when I head to, to Seattle for, for different events. Um, you, you take off from Seattle Pacific and you go to another D2 school um, on the west coast. Quite frankly, I've always felt when I knew about the program was a sleeping giant. It might have the best campus in all of college life in the United States, and that's Point Loma, literally right on the cliff in San Diego. You open the back doors to the gym, and you're about 100 yards off of the ocean cliffs. What, what was the, besides the determining, one of the points that you made about the traffic and family life, what was it about Point Loma that sold you, that made you feel like, I can have success here? Because you did in a matter of three years getting them to the championship game. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, Ethan Hamilton, the athletic director at Point Loma, um, is someone I developed a relationship with uh, for a couple of years while I was coaching at Seattle Pacific. Him and I served on the West Region Ranking Committee together. Um, so during that time, obviously, would talk on the phone once a week, trying to figure out who the best Division II basketball teams uh, were on the West Coast. Um, that job opened up, and he called me out of the blue and asked me if I'd be interested. And to be frank, uh, looking back on it now, it was kind of funny. I laughed it off at first and said, no, I couldn't do that. I have a similar type job. Doesn't really make too much sense. Um, when he called, I was driving in the car on a recruiting trip and just kind of hung up and didn't think much about it. And then later in the day, I'm driving in the car again, and my wife calls to check in. And I say at the end of the conversation, like, hey, by the way, the athletic director at Point Loma called asking if I'd be interested in that job. And her and I just kind of shrugged it off as well. And a couple hours later, I'm still driving in the car home. And <laughs> she, she calls and says, hey, I just looked up Point Loma on the Internet. Like, have you ever seen the pictures of it? Maybe we, maybe we should think about that. Um, so... He ended up calling back a couple days later, just asking me to hear him out. Um, a lot of conversations back and forth in regards to it. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, it became pretty simple with in regards to the lifestyle that we were trying to create for our family. Um, Point Loma offered a situation where we could live in a home owned by the university right down the street, and I could walk back and forth every single day. Um, our kids, all their youth sports were within walking distance of campus. Um, once kind of all that stuff was in place, my wife and I went down and visited. And I think you're exactly right. I stepped foot on campus thinking, how the heck could I not win here? Um, the, the location is amazing. You literally, if you have a bad practice, all you have to do is open up the back door and look at the ocean. Life's, life's okay. Yeah. And honestly, I thought at that time, like, if I'm going to coach Division II uh, for the rest of my career, why not do it on the beach in San Diego where I can walk back and forth from home every day and get to every activity that my two kids are involved in? We just got really good really fast, <laughs> way, faster than, <laughs> way faster than maybe uh, I could have even imagined. And I, I share some of the stories now, but we were – I think we took over a team – the year before we got there that uh, was 11th place in the Pac West. And the very first year we got to the championship game in the conference tournament. Then the second year we went to the division two national tournament for the first time in school history. And then the third year had all those players back plus added the national player of the year. 
uh, to our team and got all the way to the championship game. Well, with success comes new opportunities and then decisions that have to be made. You kind of talked about that three-year progress. And then that third year, as you mentioned, made the, the NCAA Division II title game. Um, you had Dalton Hamas, who was the player of the year. He ended up spending some time in the G League. Now he's having a nice career over in Europe. But what was the what were the challenges during a season where you see yourself getting better, but the end role, the end goal is always to win the championship? Did you feel that team had potential to do that, make that title game early in the season, or was it a complete surprise as the season went on? Well, I don't know that it was a surprise. Um, and like I said, I had, at Seattle Pacific, I had two teams that were ranked as high as uh, – number two in the country. Um, so I think I had a pretty good idea of what it took to be one of the elite teams in the nation. Um, but it was an interesting year. Uh, we had five starters back uh, from a team that was in the NCAA tournament uh, the prior year. Um, so we felt like we had a chance uh, to make a run, maybe regardless of how our recruiting finished up. Um, during the early signing period prior to that last season, we signed two really good high school players from the state of Washington, Brock McKenzie and Caden Anderson. Um, so they were going to fill roles on that team right away as young guys. Uh, and then late in the spring, Dalton Hamas decided to transfer and, um, he reached out to us. We were fortunate to end up, uh, getting him, uh, to come on a visit and then, once he saw where campus is located, uh, fortunate to get him to decide uh, to come. But that created some things we had to work through too. We had a guy that started every game of his career uh, as a freshman and sophomore. He was freshman of the year in the Pac West his first year and then honorable mention all conference as a sophomore. Uh, and he had to make the most unselfish uh, choice of any player I've ever had and allow Dalton to be a starter and him come off the bench uh, during that season. So we had to work through that a little bit early. Uh, I think one thing people don't realize is we had a handful of players that year get hurt. Um, we literally had a couple guys never practice until about two or three days before the first game of the season. Um, because of that, we lost a couple games early in the year. So obviously that puts a little bit of doubt uh, in your mind. But I think once we got everyone on the same page, um, figuring out exactly how we wanted to defend, uh, we went on a run through conference play. Not only were we winning every game, but like, the statistics were staggering. Uh, so for me, I think at that point, I thought, all right, this, this team has a chance. Well, I saw that team play because I had the chance to call the Division II title game for Westwood One Sports, and I really liked the unselfishness that your team played with. Unfortunately, you weren't able to come out with a victory, but with that chance to play in the title game, Idaho State comes calling. Completely different lifestyle and community as opposed to San Diego. What was that decision process like to make that jump to go to become a Division I coach in the big sky at Idaho State? Well, I laugh about it now. Um, obviously, um, the choice at the end of the day was a little bit simple. I don't think it's any different in coaching than maybe it is if you're a player. Like, you were a great player. Your goal was to play in the NBA. I'm a coach. Um, I, I'm excited about the challenge of 
coaching at the highest levels of college basketball um, and got an opportunity to do it uh, at Idaho State, which is Division One. So we decided to jump on it. Um, and it's a good situation for us, our family. Like I said before, like Pocatello is a smaller community. It's a college town. Everything revolves around the university. Community support um, is great. But it also creates a deal where I get to live close to campus. It's easy to get back and forth. I see my kids uh, all the time. So I think, uh, yeah, it's a lot different than being on the beach in San Diego, but it's still uh, offered us the quality of life uh, that we wanted to have. And I think the funny part is, even though this is Division One and Point Loma's Division Two, when I first made the decision to do it, I caught a lot of crap from people um, in regards to why would you leave uh, the beach in San Diego to move to Idaho? And now with everyone in quarantine, I'm going back saying Idaho is the best place to be, baby. <laughs> so it's got full circle. It does sound like it has come full circle. And yeah, I live in Spokane, as mentioned, and, and our youth sports for my kids uh, are, are basically put on pause and on hold. It's, it's very difficult to get gym space with, without a lot of restrictions. Um, we've been to Idaho a couple times for some small tournaments. And uh, yeah, that, that is one thing that uh, I'm jealous of you. You've got uh, the ability to do a lot more things right now with the, the, the guidelines and the restrictions. Last question, Coach, in every school and every league is coming out with their schedule. And obviously many schools and leagues are leaving in some buffer weeks um, just in case a quarantine situation arises so that they can get the, as full complement of games as possible. I had Travis DeCure of Montana on the ISO podcast the other day for a recording, and I shared with him how I really like how the Big Sky is doing their league scheduling, where they're limiting the travel because, yes, it's a pretty spread out league. You have to fly sometimes, you know, catch connecting flights to get to the locations, but they're playing two games at an opposing opponent's gym to limit that travel. What were your thoughts when you were going through the negotiations or the conversations and then when you finally completed the schedule? How do you like it? I was for anything that was going to allow us to play as many games as possible um, in an environment that would keep uh, everyone safe. Um, there were a lot of conversations in regards to our coaching group or all the coaches uh, in the big sky uh, there's a designated basketball committee um, that had a lot of meetings as well. All the athletic directors met. Um, and then eventually all the presidents of the institutions have had to sign off on whatever uh, scheduling uh, model was decided to use. Um, there were a whole lot of different proposals. Uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, this is what made the most sense. Um, I think from the outside looking in, maybe not everybody completely understands it. But the thing that uh, I've noticed lately is the Big Sky did this. And now there's a lot of other conferences like the Big Sky coming out uh, with a very similar format. So I feel good about it. Our players feel good about it. Uh, Idaho State uh, feels good about it. Um, we know that it's not something that's going to happen um, forever. It might just be just for this one season. Uh, so, so like I said, we were in support of whatever everyone thought uh, was going to keep everyone safe. Well, Coach, I appreciate the time. I'm looking forward to following the growth of 
Idaho State's program with your guidance in year two. Uh, again, wish you nothing but the best of health for your team, your family, your program, and uh, hopefully we catch up along the way this season. Uh, so thanks again for joining. Sounds good. Great talking to you. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.